You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, how many people do you know whom you could confidently describe as stirrers? Have you got them in your family? Oh, yeah, he's he's a real stirrer. She's a real stirrer. Do you wear the term with pride yourself? Maybe you do. I meet people who say, oh, I'm the stirrer of the group which is always quite sort of you know, confronting when you're meeting a new group of people. I go into some seminars and oh, I'm the stirrer of the group. So you sort of watch for that person where they sit and what they're likely to do. Well, look, you're in good company because, look, friends, Jesus Christ was a stirrer. Does that surprise anybody? Jesus was a real stirrer of the pot. You see, at a time when religion was all about outward appearance, What you did, what you said, where you went, the sort of offerings you gave. It was all about external appearance. It was at that time that Jesus did most of his stirring. I mean, he was in constant conflict with the Pharisees, wasn't he? They were always criticising him for where he went, what he said, what he did. At the same time, he was always criticising them for their superficiality. And therein was the basis of the tension. He said, look, they have their reward. The applause of people. Oh, aren't they great? So holy. Oh, that's about all they're going to get, Jesus said. So at a time when outward appearance was the key measurement of spiritual awareness and devotion, Jesus shatters this notion. It's the only way you can describe it. He shatters this notion with some radical teaching that would have penetrated some of the accepted standards of that day like a laser beam. It's all part of his Sermon on the Mount and it's radical, stirring stuff. Look at verse 23 and 24 of the reading brought to us by James. If you're about to offer your gift to God at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar Go at once and make peace with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift to God. Now, friends, imagine the impact of that teaching on those original hearers. I mean, here is teaching which, if followed, requires close spiritual self-examination. Would you agree? Here are instructions from Jesus requiring somebody to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. Words which compel us to think about not someone who's hurt us. That's easy. We can all think of those people. No, no. We're being compelled to think about people whom we have upset, who felt upset by our actions, whether known or unknown. Jesus is quite specific. Remember the brother who has something against you. You'll recall already in this epic sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, which has just attracted so much attention over the years, both from believers and non-believers. You'll recall Jesus has already set the bar extraordinarily high in terms of his expectations of how his followers will live and how they will think, the attitudes they will have. In the opening verse of our reading, he says, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you that if you harbour feelings of hatred within your heart toward a brother or a sister, there's a sense in which you've already committed murder with them in your heart. That's pretty radical. And then further down in verse 27, a part of the reading we didn't look at today, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, but if you've had those sort of thoughts towards somebody, 
there's a sense in which you've, you've already committed that sin in your, in your heart. And that's the point. Jesus is reinforcing the idea that true spirituality, authentic worship of God, is not just a matter of looking good. Not just a matter of doing all the right things. It has to do with the heart, with the heart motivation. Now, friends, this was radical. And it would have been really confronting to the original hearers. But here's the thing. It wasn't all that new. It wasn't all that new. You see, way back in, uh, let's, let's go back into the Old Testament, way back in, uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, here's, uh, here's Samuel speaking to Saul. And he says, what does the Lord prefer, obedience or offerings and sacrifices? It is better to obey him than to sacrifice the best sheep to him. It is better to obey him than to sacrifice the best sheep. But, but somehow, in the complicated, legalistic, uh, ritualistic kind of worship that had developed by the time of Jesus, some of these basics had been lost, or at least were not being emphasised. Jesus was about to powerfully address this situation. Uh, look at these very simple but very effective formula for ensuring we seek reconciliation with a brother or a sister before we worship and start bringing offerings and, and start getting all spiritual. Look at his formula for making sure we, we, we handle the reconciliation beforehand. He says, leave your gift. It's the first thing. He says, go at once. Make peace. And finally, come back. Start to worship with a clear conscience. Now, friends, look, I, I believe I've had a chance to think and pray this through. There's gold. There is absolute gold in these instructions from Jesus. And I want to walk us through each one in turn. The first one, leave your gift. Now, you'll never hear a preacher say, hey, look, um, if you are in conflict with anybody, if you know somebody has a grudge against you, we'd prefer you didn't give today. Uh, if that's okay, just we'd like you to work that out before you make your offering. And if you're in conflict with somebody, then it's probably not wise that you're actually here because you've got to really work that out and figure that out and, and get all that right before you come. And we don't say that because we realise that if people obeyed that literally, we'd probably be down a fair bit in offerings. Um, <laughs> Let's be, let's be perfectly frank. And we'd probably have you know, even more rapidly declining attendances in churches across Australia. Like the reality is there's not one of us who's not beyond this sort of behaviour. Not one of us who either unknowingly or unintentionally, or rather unknowingly or intentionally, sorry, either unknowingly offend somebody or intentionally offend somebody, that sort of behaviour is not beyond any one of us. The unknowingly bit, of course, is a hard one because you can upset somebody, you can offend somebody without knowing it and it's not until they tell you or somebody tells you that you have any idea of what's gone on. And I want to refer to one of those in just a, a moment. But the intentional action, the intentional action that upsets somebody that really offends somebody, Jesus says, this is Jesus, he says, such behaviour is incompatible with true worship of me and incompatible with life as it's meant to be lived 
in the kingdom. Leave your gift at the altar. Or better still, better still. This is an expansion of what Jesus is saying. Better still, before you even get to the altar, be so aware, so mindful of the negative and harmful effects of tension and conflict on your spiritual condition that you work it out and get reconciliation even before you come to pour your heart out before God. Be so mindful, be so aware of the the destructive nature of conflict and how it robs us of our spiritual power. Sort it out even before you think about worship, even before you think about giving a gift. The ancient prophet Amos, we're going to dip into the Old Testament a second time. The ancient prophet Amos, he received a strong word from God on one occasion in chapter 5 and verses 21 to 24. Listen to this, beautiful. The Lord says, this is strong, I hate your religious festivals. Ouch. I cannot stand them. When you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'll not accept them. This is against the backdrop of a very sinful Israel at this point. They were just all over the place in terms of their allegiance to God. And here's God's strong word. I will not accept them. I will not accept the animals you fattened to bring me as offerings. Stop your noisy songs. I do not want to listen to your harps. Instead... Let justice flow like a stream and righteousness like a river that never goes dry. Wow, I would love to do a series on that sometime. What does God require of his people? External, outward appearances of worship? No, no, no. Let justice flow like a river. Get involved in the hurts and the needs of people. Send teams to Bathurst. Send people to Madagascar. Take the needs of your own area seriously. Let justice flow like a stream. Wow. In other words, get your heart right. Get your relationship right. And then you'll be ready to respond to me. And God says, and I'll be more able to respond to you. Well, the principle here is pretty clear. Gifts of sacrifice and of worship are measured by the heart motivation of the giver. How else do you explain what happened in that extraordinary scene in the temple where all the rich people are are sort of peeling off $50 notes and sticking them into the offering box and a poor little widow comes by and rather sheepishly pops in a couple of five-cent pieces and Jesus says, Aha! See that? That lady has just given the number one offering of the day because these guys are giving out of money that they won't even miss. It looks impressive, but... They're not going to miss it. This lady has given all she had. Her motivation is pure. Wow, this is heavy stuff. How many conflict situations do you know about? Have I turned too many pages? I have. Beautiful. Like I caught that. Wow. Okay, 13 is followed by 14. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the second of our Lord's instructions. He says, go at once. Go at once. Look, guys, as we discovered last week look within the family of God uh, reconciliation needs to be initiated by those of us who are being made new in Jesus Christ that's like it just comes up time and time again look I know it can be hard and I know it can seem so unfair me having to make the first move again like but it always requires genuine humility But I can't get away from that as a biblical principle. And here it is again. Jesus says, go at once. You take the initiative to get things right. It's the old story and Jesus knew this. Somebody has to start the ball rolling. 
So how many conflict situations do you know about? How many have you been involved in where the level of animosity and tension has been heightened by the fact that nobody is prepared to break the impasse? Have you been involved in a few of those? I'm not going to say anything. If she doesn't know what's wrong, then I'm not going to say anything. We, we do this all the time. Of course, it's one thing to take the initiative, but it's quite another to handle the process of reconciliation effectively. That's a whole different poor game. It's easy to get, to get that part of it really wrong. And rather than harmonising, we may actually further harm the situation. Okay, somebody's got to make the first move. Guess it looks like it's going to be me again. I'm the one who's got to tell you where you went wrong. Okay, let me just do that right now. Um, like, I mean, or some variation on that. Like, like, that's just going to blow it to a new level. Look, Jesus says, make peace. And the steps involved in making peace, every one of these things I'm going to share with you requires almost a message on its own. But let me just give you the list to refresh your memories. We all know this stuff. Putting it into action, that's another thing. Be willing to admit you're wrong. Remember in the, the TV show Happy Days, the one word the Fonz could never say was sorry. You know, could never say that. You've got to be pretty old to remember that. You know. um, be quick to acknowledge the hurt. I know I've hurt you. I know I've hurt you. Say it. Accept the consequences of your action. There might be some pain, short-term pain, long-term. Ask for forgiveness. Alter your behaviour if, if that's been the cause of the offence. Making peace in an effective, helpful way is a learned art. That's the good news. You can actually get better at doing this as you go along. It's not related to personality type. You can actually get better at making peace as you go along if you apply these principles. And, of course, in close relationships, especially in marriage and especially in family life and especially in the body of Christ, you've got to get better because there's always conflict situations to deal with. It's just the way it is. Years ago, in my ministry back in Adelaide, when it was at a time when we used to allow lay men and women to lead around the Lord's table, and it was a real God-given right in Churches of Christ, and everybody went on the roster, whether you could speak or not, on the roster, on the plan, and um, it was left to pastors like me to uh, sort out and help people to identify whether they had the gift or not. And we had one gentleman who uh, had got to the stage where his nerves in front of a large group were so bad. Uh, before I left that, before that church went to two services uh, during my ministry, we would have in excess of 300 people uh, in a morning service and it was quite daunting to stand in front of that large group and his, his papers would be shaking and got to a stage where he became incoherent and that wouldn't have been so bad except his rise in nervousness was matched only by the increasing length of the talks. And so uh, there came a day when I had to sit down over a coffee with this gentleman whose name was Ivan and say, Ivan, we can help you. We can take away the strain and the pressure. I know you are going to be, uh, you're going to find it hard to give this ministry up because you love it and you believe in it, but you need to just step back and just take the pressure off yourself and off everybody. We try to, he seemed to take it okay. Um, I, I think I put it pretty well. But I learnt years later 
at the funeral of his wife that his daughter, who didn't even come to my church, she went to another church, that she had been seething in resentment over that conversation I'd had with her father for years. And she said, I'll never forget that. That meant so much to him and you took it from him. And it was pretty scary stuff. You know? Sometimes you just don't know that you've unwittingly offended somebody. And she'd been sitting on this for ages, long after he let it go. So by the grace of God, we had to have a number of uh, conversations that sort of eventually... Eventually, we, we, we made that peace that was so needed. So what have we got here, friends, in Matthew 5? Look, we've got a situation. Here it is. Where Jesus is so intent on getting his followers to understand the crucial, har- the crucial importance rather, of harmony and unity within families and within relationships and certainly within the body of Christ. He's so intent on sharing this that he actually calls us to refrain from giving and worshipping until we're reconciled with the person we've offended. He says, leave your gift, go at once, make peace. Finally, he says, come back. Wow. Come back. Verse 24, and offer your gift to God. Come back. Now, there are two words in the Christian context which are just so precious. They are so reassuring. Are they not? Come back. I mean, there's always the invitation from God to come back. The prodigal son found that out. He'd blown the family fortune. He made a mess of his life. Come back. Zacchaeus, what about all the restitution he was prepared to make? If I've robbed anybody, I'll give them back all that and I'll double it. And he was, he found out, come back. And of course, the, the man who denied Jesus three times, come back. It's okay. We can deal with this. Even the Apostle Paul, who was breathing fire and death and hatred toward the Christian church for years. Following his conversion, during his conversion, come back. Come on. And in the Old Testament, David, one of my favourite moments of reconciliation, and some of us know it so well, Psalm 51, after his sin with Bathsheba, where on paper you'd have to wonder, is this guy ever going to recover from this? He's a man of God. He's a leader. He's a king. He's brought terrible disgrace on himself and on his family. Can he ever, ever recover? Look at this. You, you pick the, the components of the formula that Jesus gives. You pick the components in this little beauty. I recognise my faults, he says in verse 3. I'm always conscious of my sins. I've sinned against you, only against you, and done what you consider evil. And then verse 12. Give me again the joy that comes from your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. And then this is the remarkable thing. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, before Jesus ever expressed the words that we've just read in Matthew 5, look at the insights. Look at the insights that David receives as in verses 16 and 17, he says this. You do not want sacrifices, or I would offer them. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. My sacrifice is a humble spirit, O God. 
you will not reject a humble and repentant heart. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. See, nothing Jesus said was new. It's just that they've forgotten about it. It had been allowed to go through to the delete file somehow in their religious organisation. Well, friends, being reconciled to people whom we've hurt, whom we've disappointed, it's one of the really tough things that we're called upon to do, isn't it? And I know some of you have had a very tough journey in that. It's very tough because the issues and the dynamics can be so complex. Past relationships and, and you're never going to get perfect. You know, it's just that's not realistic. But we need to do our best. So far as, within, as, within, as is within our power, we need to do our best to heal the rift and to make things right. That's hard because our attempts to heal the rift can be met with hardness and with judgmentalism and with criticism. And, and, and our motivation can be, can be put under scrutiny. Oh, so wh- wh- why are you doing this after all these years? What's your, what's your motive? What do you want? You know, and it can be very... All we can do in the power of the Holy Spirit... It's vital we take the principle of Jesus here seriously. I've seen people wither on the vine emotionally and spiritually, just like wither on the vine because of unresolved conflict. I've seen it in churches. I've made it a personal, personal mission in my ministries to rid the churches I've been involved in of that sort of interfactional rivalry. Praise God, the way I've ended my only three ministries has been just like that. I said when, when we handed the church over to Sam, or rather you know, made the announcement about Sam becoming the, the new pastor, I, I, I announced publicly, I, I said if, if, if I felt there were deep, deep divisions in this church, if I felt there were groups of fighting against each other, some for the ministry team, some against the ministry team, some writing letters to the elders, if I thought there was all those sort of dynamics, I, I wouldn't have offered, I, I wouldn't have you know, even allowed a young man like Sam to take it on. The pain's just too hard. I, I've been in that road. And it's a really tough ministry road. So we we ought to praise God that you know, we've got a strong sense of unity here, and we are modelling what it means to be reconciled because we've enjoyed the reconciliation that we have through Christ. We're not perfect, and we have little you know tiffs and things, and I have to sort some of you out occasionally. But uh, <laughs> you have to sort me out occasionally. But uh, you know that deep seated, you know that that's I just. That just negates everything that the body of Christ is all about. And I can't even believe some churches continue to operate like that. just can't believe it. It just negates everything. You can't talk about love. You can't talk about peace. You can't talk about justice. If there are people in the pews who can't stand the preacher or who can't stand the person who's sitting opposite them, like who just, and they haven't spoken for years, you're just not being fair income. Well, what does Jesus say? Leave your gift. Go at once. Make peace. Come back. Friends, looking back, I think that's a formula. I've probably, without even consciously being aware of it, it's a formula I've tried to use in my own life over the years. I know many of you have. It's a simple formula, but it keeps our spirituality at a level that's, that's got integrity, that's got authenticity. And what's the nicest thing anybody can say about a follower of Jesus Christ these days? You seem pretty real. 
You, you're real. I like that. I think that's like, that's like the hallelujah chorus on Easter Sunday when somebody says, you guys are real. You guys are real. That's, that's beautiful. So this week, put it into practice. Leave your gift. Not literally, uh, necessarily. But, you know, don't go. Just work it out before you even get to this stage. Go at once. Make peace. But come back into the loving arms of Jesus because it will always be waiting. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?